G'day. Welcome to Lunch Money. We are the online and social media home for special situations, workouts and capital raising professionals. My name is Nick Samios. I'm the director and fund manager here at Hermes Capital and I am your Lunch Money host. We've got, we've got uh, subscribers in the US that are well into the double digits on our podcast. So uh, a very special uh, hello uh, to those of us that are watching us in the US. It's, it's only high double digits. I like to say that uh, we're not unpopular. We're, we're just very niche. So uh, thank you very much to all of our subscribers everywhere. Uh, if you're watching us live, we've got the faculty for you, uh, for you to pop us a question and we'll try and get those questions uh, to our panellists. The proverbial pet shop parrot uh, has become an expert uh, on the insolvency cliff. Everyone's talking about it. Um, and so now once again, there is talk about whether or not Australia should introduce a US style Chapter 11 uh, or at least adopt uh, some uh, Chapter 11 features. And we've got uh, a couple of guests that are going to uh, lead us through a discussion on uh, whether or not we need to be doing that. And I'm going to start off with uh, introducing Paul Aparty. G'day, Paul. How are you? Fine. Yeah, Fantastic. Good, thanks. Yeah. Great, great. Paul's a partner with Herbert Smith Freehills. Uh, he's a specialist in restructuring, turnaround and insolvency. And uh, what has been keeping you busy of the past uh, week or so, Paul? Well, it's been um, it's been a pretty busy period over the last um, six months, really, uh, with everything arising from uh, all the disruption brought on by COVID. Um, over the last week, I guess I've been working on a, a few different restructurings, um, some big, some small. Um, the one that's probably most topical for this discussion we're, we're about to have is um, we're we're actually acting for Speedcast, which is um, an Australian. Uh, corporation, or at least Australian headquartered corporation, uh, which is going through a US Chapter 11 process to try and restructure its, its global business. Uh, that's kept us very busy for a number of months and um, continues uh, continues to be very interesting week to week. Is that, That's an Australian company that operates in the US or it's an Australian sub of a US company? It's uh, so it's a company which operates globally. Really, its business is um, is, is providing broadband internet to um, people who are in locations that are hard to reach with normal internet providers. So um, offshore right. oil rigs, cruise ships, mines, things like that. Operates all around the world, um, buying capacity from satellites and then selling it to these people. Um, it's headquartered in Australia. The the um, uh, the parent company is Australian Incorporated and listed on the ASX, uh, but it has subsidiaries incorporated in uh, countries all around the world, and it has uh, the majority of its business in the United States. So right. it's um, very, very global, and it's that sort of weight towards the United States, which is one of the reasons why the group as a whole, including uh, the Australian Incorporated entities, have uh, filed for the Chapter 11 process. Okay. All right. Well, you're the right guy to have on today. That's uh, that's for sure. You're obviously uh, up to your elbows in uh, in Chapter 11. So uh, thank you very much for that. And aside from that, uh, I mean, are there other insolvencies or M&As? I mean, what other sort of stuff uh, crosses your desk in the meantime? Well, my, my focus is is restructuring. So um, so that sort of would be the majority of the work that I'm doing um, currently. And that's a mixture of, of debtor side work, uh, acting for um, my corporate clients that um, are going through through stress and working out sort of how best to try and um, 
uh, restructure their their facilities and their finances to get through this period. And then there's the um, the creditor side work that we do. So doing quite a lot of work for offshore funds in different right. situations, some big, some small, uh, working through uh, through their situations as well. Asian funds or? Uh, some are based up in Asia. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm doing uh, one piece which is uh, dealing with people based in, in London. Though it's a uh, New York headquartered group. So it's a lot of time uh, on the phone at um, <laughs> not particularly sociable hours. Yeah, I mean, well, the US is certainly notorious for uh, not looking at the clock before they ring you up. I know that much. I think usually uh, the UK had a little bit more regard, but... Uh, I don't know if that's your experience. All right, Paul, look, we're just going to pop you back into the waiting room and we'll introduce our next guest, Carl Gunther. G'day, Carl, how are you going? I'm well, thanks, Nick. Yourself? Very well indeed. Thank you very much. Uh, you've appeared before and thank you very much for coming on again today. When okay. uh, when I saw the, uh, this, the, the Chapter 11 was coming back into the news, uh, you're the first person that I thought of. Back, uh, obviously, you're the current president of the TMA and I remember uh, back in 2003, uh, there was a review into complex restructuring. I can't remember the name of the government review, but Chapter Eleven was being uh, was being examined then. Um, so, so what is it? Uh, what is it? What's been keeping you busy the last couple of weeks since we last spoke? Yeah, well, since since we last spoke, Nick, and that was that was actually a few few months ago. But um, you know, mo- most of the work uh, I do is uh, is is working with CEOs and CFOs, uh, largely around coaching from a restructuring perspective. So. Um, uh, nothing as glamorous as uh, Speedcast with uh, with Paul, but uh, uh, n- nonetheless challenging uh, in many respects because of the environment that we're facing. So it's uh, some property companies, some tech companies, and some some other companies that uh, you know are just experiencing pain as a result of, of COVID. And safe harbour work, or just advising the boards uh, generally? Yeah, well, um, it, it, I was doing a little bit of safe harbour work, but uh, a, lo- a lot of that's come off, obviously, with the the moratorium and legislative change. Directors aren't actively looking for specific safe harbour uh, advice. Uh, what they are still looking for, though, is is restructuring advice. Actually, they recognise that there's going to be some challenges coming ahead, and uh, and so they're looking to work out how how they respond. Um, and uh, most of most of the, I guess, the original, how would I say, the initial uh, uh, panic uh, that that set in is now settled. But they're looking forward to how they're going to respond when, for example, uh, the the moratorium sort of backs off, when the banks start to to pull pull harder, when the APO starts to be less compliant, um, and and when JobKeeper, of course, when the fiscal stimulus starts to wind back. And so that's that's what they're very much focusing on and, and working out how do they position themselves both for opportunity but also really to survive. Look, it's a little bit of a game of musical chairs, isn't it? I mean, you, you just rattle them off there. There's a chair called Moratorium. There's a chair called JobKeeper. Yeah. Uh, you know, and these things are going to get taken away one at a time and uh, there are some going to, people are going to be left with nowhere to sit. Um, I mean, do you have a crystal ball as to, I mean, we're supposedly got moratoriums ending uh, this month do you think that's do you expect the phone to be uh, ringing off the hook come the end of the month or what, what's, your, what's well, your prediction look i mean i guess if you, you it's a it's a tale of different sized businesses i think uh the moratorium has less of an impact what i see is in in sme land and, and anyone can have a view around what's what does what constitutes an sme yeah um certainly um it what, what's what's promoting and keeping companies afloat is i think more the fiscal stimulus more the yeah. more the support from lenders more the support from the ato uh, i think those are the things that are making a difference in in the 
in the, the big end of town, and I'll, I'll call it non-SME, so larger uh, or corporates, I expect that if that moratorium does come off uh, at the end of September, that advice will be sought, formal advice will be sought. Um, I still think there's lots of advice being provided, uh, but it's not in a it's not in a formal or structured way, um, particularly in keeping with the legislation as it's currently drafted. And I think, look, I think is is what's my crystal ball with government. I mean, we we at the TMA have been actively talking to government. Uh, you know, we've got a we've got a regular slot every every Friday, every other Friday with with uh, with Treasury and, and dialoguing with them. Uh, it's fair to say that uh, there's it's a they're not giving much away as to how government, as distinct yeah. from Treasury, is is going to manage the um, uh, the moratorium position. Um, at the TMA, we have a view, and uh, if you've got another hour, I can talk to you on that particular topic, uh, but I appreciate that uh, uh, we've got a more learned gentleman in the form of uh, Paul, uh, who's, who's sitting in the wings there, and uh, he can also, as a fellow board member of the TMA, can provide some input too. Yeah, okay. I mean, look, it's uh, it's interesting that I know that back back. Back in the early days, uh, we had a, um, a chap on the board that was a senior ANZ uh, banker. Um, yeah. And uh, we were, some of our board members were agitating to um, to advocate for Chapter 11. And he said, look, if you're going to advocate for Chapter 11, I'm going to have to step down because, uh, you know, in the banks, we're not necessarily crash hot on that. But look, we'll, we'll just, we'll just uh, hold that thought. We'll bring, um, we'll bring Paul back. Now, I'll just show there's a few news headlines that uh, have sort of inspired this conversation and we'll get those up on the screen. So uh, last week we had this uh, US-style Chapter 11 bankruptcy protection bid for business. Um, uh, we had uh, two soft on insolvencies will do more harm than good. Um, now, the, the, that, in that particular article, uh, the government's considering a number of options to allow debtors even greater flexibility. Um, insolvent trading relief measures are eventually wound down, as we just said. Uh, Mr. Frydenberg, our treasurer, refused to rule out US-style Chapter 11 changes for failing companies. So, as, uh, as Carl just said, obviously, they're holding their cards pretty close to their chest at the moment. Uh, and that, uh, that other headline there, I was just uh, saying to Carl a bit earlier, it's interesting, uh, that article, I think, uh, the original, when it first appeared, it, uh, the headline was Sham Creditors Meeting to Seal Virgin Australia Sale, but it's since been revised to uh, Deloitte Textbook Demonstration of How to Do an Admin, and I guess we'll know at the end of today uh, how, that, uh, how that Virgin matter has, uh, has panned out. Um, okay, so we'll move on to our discussion um, more generally, and we'll start off with talking about uh, why why they're just just to sort of pull it back a bit for our non-technical expert uh, viewers and listeners. Why it is that we uh, that we need any kind of legal framework at all? We just have a brief clip um, to show uh, cut one. Bankruptcy, Michael, is nature's do-over. It's a fresh start. It's a clean slate. Like a witness protection program. Exactly. Not at all. Okay. Um, I'll, I'll go to you first, um, Paul. What, why, why, why do we need anything? What, what, what is, what's the whole purpose of these uh, Chapter 11 voluntary administration? Just to, frame, just to frame the discussion. Sure. Well, I mean, I think, first of all, it's probably worth sort of assuming there's nothing at all. Which, which there was until, you know, sort of the, the 18th, 19th century when, when um, bankruptcy regimes were first introduced. Uh, prior to that point, um, creditors could simply chase debtors for their debts and there was sort of nothing to stop them from taking them through the courts, taking all their assets, 
and uh, eventually putting them into debtors' prisons when they sort of had nothing left to pay. Um, that that sort of regime obviously was highly punitive, um, didn't encourage any kind of turnaround, but also meant that it was a free-for-all. It was whoever got in first uh, was going to get the most, and anyone who was slow-footed would end up with nothing in terms of creditor recoveries. So our basic insolvency regime is, is about having an ordered way in which when a creditor can't, uh, when a debtor can't pay all their debts, uh, someone is put in charge to ensure that all the creditors get a fair share and there's an orderly realisation of debts rather than a mad scramble. Yeah. The So that sort of explains liquidation and basic bankruptcy. The restructuring regimes we have, so things like voluntary administration, um, are trying to take the concept a step further and saying, well, we've sort of got the basic fairness sorted out, but um, simply uh, putting a, a company into liquidation and selling all the tables and shares is probably not going to get the best return for creditors. The best return is generally going to be for a company uh, maintaining some sort of going concern business, preserving value, and then uh, getting the, the creditors' recoveries from that process. So the restructuring process is a way of trying to achieve that uh, best value for creditors through hopefully resuscitating the business, maybe not necessarily the company itself, um, and realising a best return for creditors that way, while obviously at the same time preserving jobs, uh, preserving business, um, uh, preserving the role uh, in, the, in the general sort of community. Okay. I guess we have this concept of uh, multiple stakeholders. So it's not just the creditors. As you said, there's the shareholders, there's the community, there's the government, of course. Uh, you know, they've obviously got a, their skin in the game with respect to uh, with respect to tax uh, and, of course, you know, the market and customers and all that sort of thing. I guess, Carl, um, all of these regimes, you could say they break into three phases. There's, you know, before, you know, for want of a better word, you know, pre-insolvency events, uh, the actual insolvency event, you know, whether it's voluntary administration or the Chapter 11, and then the post-insolvency event, you know, the deed of company arrangement. Do you just want to just sort of give the, the two-minute uh, layperson's lay guide to, to what goes on? Yeah, so um, so the, the whole, the whole pre-insolvency cycle, uh, typically the big question is do I or don't I uh, put this company through a formal process? Um, and it's, it's clear that uh, in most formal processes, uh, there's a there is a substantial destruction of value both for uh, creditors and shareholders, and I'll say most. Uh, if you if you do put a company into insolvency, uh, that does happen. Um, so the idea of the, the pre bit is is to try and assess whether or not you should or shouldn't, and oftentimes and part of part of where you know I I have particularly sought to play is to try and find ways in a consensual way with stakeholders to try and avoid insolvency and undertake a restructure without. Without uh, without a formal process, obviously putting a company into insolvency or certainly into voluntary administration, uh, it's it's an inalienable right of a director under the Corps Act to be able to do that. Uh, they all they need to do is, with a simple resolution, majority resolution, having formed a view that the company is either insolvent or likely to be insolvent uh, in the future, which is pretty broad. Um, you know, they are empowered and entitled under the Corps Act to to put a company into insolvency into VA to appoint a voluntary administrator. Uh, and that voluntary administrator then effectively assumes control of the company uh, and then seeks to work out what's the best outcome for uh, for uh, the company's creditors. We just sort of keep our head head space in that pre-actual appointment yep. stage. Um, yep. I just wonder with Paul, you know, what what what's deficient in what we're doing in Australia in that pre-phase? Is there anything, 
is there is there anything about chapter eleven that uh, makes things that that pre process any better, or are we well, sort of level pegging at this stage? Yeah, yeah. So I mean, chapter eleven I would see as sort of broadly the equivalent of administration. So the sort of it's a formal process. It's yeah. post appointment, if you like, as opposed to in the pre phase. Right. Um, okay. In terms of sort of our pre phase here in Australia. Um, the, the thing which is, has caused a lot of, um, I guess, difficulty with restructuring outside a formal process in Australia, you know, the whole time I've practised really has been the insolvent trading regime and the right. concern that uh, directors have that if, if the company is insolvent, unable to pay its debts as and when they fall due, um, then the directors can potentially be liable for the debts being incurred during that period if the restructuring is unsuccessful and the company ends up in liquidation. Mm. And that, that fear, that risk, um, you know, has been seen by many as uh, causing a number of companies that don't necessarily need to go to the next stage to yeah. file because the directors want that protection. So, so we've got we've got we've got safe harbour to sort of take care mm. of that. So have we have we sort of already have we checked that box when, when we look at sort of Australian laws versus US laws? Do we are we check that box, or are we, are we still a little bit short? Well, I mean, I, I would say that the the Australian regime is still quite a bit harsher on directors than the US yeah. regime. There's sort of no equivalent of insolvent trading um, right. in that in, in that sort of way in the US. There, there is a sort of a deepening insolvency concept, but it's, it's sort of <clears throat> it's not a, a significant concern for directors in the same way that um, uh, that uh, that it is here. I, I think the safe harbour has helped a lot. And it's a very helpful framework for boards generally in terms of thinking about their duties, um, how to think about their decision-making process through the pre-process. But um, it's not going to help in all cases. Um, and, uh, you know, different boards will take different views on how comfortable they are with that regime. We've now got the temporary regime as well, the COVID sort of temporary safe harbour um, yeah. that goes until the 25th of September, and that gives a very broad brush protection to any debts incurred in the ordinary course of the company's business. Um, and I think that has led to this sort of this interesting phase that we're in now where we've actually you know got a dip in insolvencies compared to um, last year, same time, despite all, all the distress we're seeing. Um, so you could say that, you know, that issue has been solved to some extent by the temporary regime, but clearly we're going to have to have another discussion about it come the 25th of September. Well, I guess um, Paul hits on something there, uh, Carl. You know, someone like yourself, for example, if you're going in as a turnaround manager or a CRO or whatever it might be, obviously mm. you want to be protected yourself. You want to be putting all of your, uh, you know, all of your family at risk, uh, you know, when you're trying to save a company. And I guess uh, Safe Harbour uh, covers that off to some extent, but maybe we don't have all the protections. So then just, just to sort of move on to the next phase then, Carl, sort of after the appointment of the administrator, that's the next the next step. Yeah, and and so look, probably this is this is where you know whilst there's some similarities in Chapter Eleven, the uh, voluntary administration, where where the key difference I think here is that uh, under a Chapter Eleven, once once it does go into Chapter Eleven, uh, the effectively the company, the debtor, remains in possession of of the running of the company in the US uh, versus in the US versus in in Australia when 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 a company goes into voluntary administration the affairs of the directors that would otherwise be managing the affairs of the company are placed into the hands of the voluntary administrator so there's there's quite a distinction and and that's kind of where i think the big 
the big sort of dialogue and discussion has been emerging here is do you keep, do we put a Chapter 11 in and allow allow the debtor, a la the company, to continue trading and running the company uh, versus putting in an independent umpire, a voluntary administrator, to uh, to deal with the affairs of the company, which may involve trading on or not, as the case as the case may be. Right. But, but in Australia, if I single back to Australia, the, the key thing then, the company can either be returned to the to the directors. Uh, this is this is this is how a VA will, will take place, yeah. um, or at the ending of a VA, it'll either be returned to a company's directors. And in my lifetime, I haven't ever seen a circumstance where a VA returns the company back to the directors in in no. the formal sense. It's it's cut it's cut come through another form. Uh, it'll either be resurrected through a deed of company arrangement, uh, which means it's a uh, an arrangement where there's a compromise, uh, yep. and there are certain rules around how that compromise will take place, and or um, it goes into liquidation, and yep, that's kind okay. of the three the three parts. I don't know, Paul. Yep. Have you have you ever had a circumstance where the VA has just returned the company to the directors? Well, it's funny you say it. Actually, I I did deal with a situation um, uh, about a month ago where the creditors voted to return the company to the directors in a situation where the company was highly insolvent. So the uh, the administrator had to uh, adjourn the meeting and go off to seek uh, court orders uh, in terms of what to do. I have heard of that happening once, uh, yeah, a couple of years ago. It was only a small matter. But, uh, yeah, the meeting wanted to return the company to the directors. I don't think they understood. They were badly advised and, and all the rest of it. Um, we, we do have – I'll just ask you a question in a moment, Paul. We've just got uh, – uh, a little cut, cut number two, the process of declaring bankruptcy in America and how that works. I declare bankruptcy! Is it, is it really as easy as that? Maybe uh, yeah, that's exactly what we did in Speedcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, so just, just um, let me ask you, um, Paul, the way I understand it, in that in that sort of what we would call the VA period, what are the upside and what's the downside of of having the actual uh, the directors in in control instead of you know an accounting firm? Yeah, so it's it's a, it's a key sort of philosophical I think difference, um, which this sort of endless debate as we've seen in these newspaper uh, articles about about whether sort of it is preferable to have management and control or an independent expert. Um, the, the, the advantage, um, I think, of having a debtor in possession system is that um, you keep management who know the business, who've been running the business, and can keep sort of, you know, to the extent possible, business as normal uh, running through the process. So I think the argument is you preserve more value that way. There's less disruption by having someone who's, a, you know, the alternative is you have someone who's effectively a stranger to the business coming in and sort of having to put some degree of freeze on everything while they work out what's going on, um, what should be done, um, and then sort of coming up with a plan. So you, you, you do have that sort of continuity. Um, you also sort of avoid some of the debate about um, you know, who's to blame. Um, our, our sort of regime, our creditor regime, is very focused on sort of who's to blame. The external right. administrator comes in, and one of the key duties is to investigate, you know, who caused the collapse, uh, their actions available against them. You have that in a debtor possession system as well, but it's not really the focus. 
the focus right. is on how you turn around the business. I guess it's interesting yeah. because of a UK based system. We we as you said before, the, the whole notion was if you know debtors prison, whereas in the, in America, uh, you know, having a few failures in the past is uh, is a badge of honour. There, there is a trade off though with um, when you have your debtors in possession. Um, the debtor in possession system will, will typically come with a broad moratorium. So creditors can't take action against the company while you're trying to reorganise. Um, and if you've got the company which is you know, failing, has got a moratorium, you need some sort of oversight um, and protection for, for creditors that they can see what's going on, um, that uh, value in the estate isn't being sort of needlessly um, eroded by delay, uh, by a plan that's not going to work. So in, in the US, the sort of the counterpoint you have for the um, existing management being in control is you have the court, the US Bankruptcy Court, which is a specialist uh, division of the, the federal courts in America, takes a very um, involved uh, role in the whole process. So you, you file your, your uh, Chapter 11 with the Bankruptcy Court, you have your first day hearing where you need to get a whole lot of permissions in terms of what you're doing with the business, who you're paying, borrowing money. And then throughout the process, all the key decisions uh, will tend to need to be approved by the bankruptcy court. Right. Um, and because it's a court-driven process, there's a lot of lawyers, and yeah. um, ultimately it's quite expensive. Right. Okay. So, Carl, let me ask you, um, obviously I, I can understand how the Chapter 11 process and the, the, the debtor in possession process might work for what we might call large, complex uh, insolvencies. But, you know, Australia is an SME economy, so... Can, can this sort of framework, you know, lots of lawyers and lots of going to court, can that work with SMEs? Well, well, if, you know, uh, I, I don't, I don't think it would work on a pure Chapter Eleven process in Australia for SMEs, just purely because of the cost. Um, and I think, I think that would be that's a that's a major cha challenge. But look, I'm going to sort of take a slightly controversial stance, and I've, I've in in preparing for this, and I'm not as as learned on Chapter 11 as perhaps what Paul is, but uh, you know, I saw a very good quote, and it, it says that uh, the process uh, repeatedly has been shown to produce too few rehabilitated companies in the long term. It's very expensive, and it takes a long time to administer. Now, uh, that's that's a quote that was framed out with Chapter 11. It's fair to say you could you could draw that same conclusion regarding our own insolvency laws, the voluntary administration process. And so, what is clear to me is that regardless of whether it's a Chapter Eleven or our own process, we we do need to consider in the in the Australian sense. And I think the government needs to consider in a relatively short period of time uh, what we can do in order to assist SMEs. And I don't think just necessarily reverting back to business as usual under the voluntary administration regime um, is the first choice. It may be the only choice that we take, but it shouldn't be yeah. the first choice. We should be looking at other ways in which we can do that. And there are other there are other examples uh, in other jurisdictions which the TMA has been looking at and, and, and in fact, Paul and, Paul and I have been looking at for some time uh, in the form of a CBA. Uh, it's not perfect, uh, yeah. but uh, and there are other ways in which you can look so, at So that. what's the CBA? That's the UK model, is it, or...? Yeah, yep. so CBA right. is, um, is a company voluntary arrangement. Uh, so essentially it's a, it's a deal uh, between a company and, and its creditors, it's, its unsecured creditors, where uh, a plan is put up uh, typically with some sort of compromise on the debts in order to return the company to, uh, to solvency. 
and um, it's voted on at a creditors meeting and if you meet the uh, required threshold, uh, which is 75% by uh, value and uh, I believe majority by number, uh, then it's passed and is binding on all those creditors. So it's very similar to the deed of company arrangement that Carl mentioned, um, albeit the deed of company arrangement that we have is only as part and parcel of an administration, whereas the CVA in the UK, you can do standalone. company doesn't need to file for any sort of administration. There's no external administrator per se. There is someone right. who sort of supervises the process, um, but it's sort of it's a relatively simple process from that regard. So is that still binding on all the creditors? That's right. It's, all, it's binding on all the unsecured creditors. Uh, secured right. creditors, much like the Docker uh, in our regime, they, they can stand to one side. So it's key. Yeah, no. It can happen outside of a formal insolvency process, right? right. And that's that's an interesting process because that and that's and I, I don't mean to digress on this, Nick, but but that's where government is really concerned around SME right. land and what happens, yeah. you know. Well, there's a couple of issues. One is saving the SME. Another one, of course, is protecting all the creditors. And uh, you know, so then it's all about how the schemes are worked out and how the how the dockers are worked out. We've just got cut three. That's maybe a bad example. Um, how is this not a pyramid scheme? The more people that get involved, the more people who are investing, the more money we're all going to make. It's not a pyramid scheme. It is a, it's not even a scheme per se. It's. Yeah. So, um, so we do have, you know, there is an issue of protecting creditors as well. So how, how do you sort of balance that with these other, these other regimes? The, you know, on one hand, obviously, having a, a bias for saving the company and getting better outcomes, uh, I guess, versus the risk of these uh, these things being exploited. It's a good question. Um, and there's, there's sort of a couple of lenses, I think, you can kind of put credit to protection through. And they're sort of, to my mind, there's a couple of key things you need to think about. Mm. So first, who's really making the decision? Uh, you have processes where you have um, an external administrator of some type who makes the decision, for example, to sell the business um, and then, um, you know, to sort of get what they get. Um, <clears throat> alternatively, you have processes where there is a plan of some type that's put to creditors and creditors get to vote on it and it's ultimately their decision. So I think sort of who's, who's making the decision is important and then ultimately, if it's not the creditors themselves, you know, who are they reporting to? You know, do they owe duties to the creditors? Secondly, there's the question about information. You know, do do people actually have enough transparency about what's going on? You know, do they understand the options? Um, you know, were there alternative deals that might be better? Um, do they understand the financials of the company and its viability? All of those sorts of things, and um, and certainly, sort of in some processes, um, you know, there are real criticisms around the level of transparency. I think we might talk about prepacks in a minute, and that's sort of one of the allegations that's been uh, leveled at prepacks that you have the problem that. A, it's sort of it's a third party, the administrator who makes the decision. But B, sort of you know, this it all happens very quickly without the creditors being involved, and um, you know they don't really sort of they don't have the transparency as to to why that particular deal has been done. Just, Sorry, the way it's done in Australia or the way it's done in the UK? Uh, I'm talking about the UK prepack there. Yeah. The, the, those are the sort of the traditional criticisms of that regime in Australia. Nick, prepacks aren't aren't part of the law. You, you can't actually enshrine a pre-pack in, in the law, but it's not to say that people aren't pre-planning and pre-packing uh, insolvencies here. 
All right, we've just got a question. Yeah. I'll just flash up on the screen there. For that, maybe I'll throw that one to you, Paul. Okay, so the question from Deanne is, does the CBA in the UK result in more SMEs surviving? Are there any stats that support it? Uh, look, I don't know specifically, but I would suggest that um, um, it's a it's a tool that is useful in some circumstances, but is you know it's probably not going to be a silver bullet. Um, where you tend to see it used in particular in the UK is around uh, retail businesses with a lot of leases, um, where the company needs to sort of really reset its um, its trading footprint. It needs to close a number of unprofitable stores. It needs to readjust rents on others. Uh, it's been used you know quite heavily in that context. The results have been mixed, I think it's fair to say. Um, some CVAPAs have succeeded, others haven't. Um, one of the, I, I think one of the things, one of the challenges to making a CVA work well, and one of the things we've been talking to uh, the government about here, is making sure that it's streamlined enough um, that it can be used in those sort of small SME cases that Carl's talking about. Mm. Um, you know, sort of relatively simple cases where you just, you're putting up a pot of cash um, and, uh, you know, people are taking a compromise on their debts. Uh, there is one question I want to put to you both. Uh, as I said to you a bit earlier, when we were looking at this back in the early 2000s, there was concern from the banker's point of view. Um, you know, and if you mess with the system too much and if the banks perceive that you're going to introduce an, a regime that compromises their ability to recover their loans, uh, then you maybe run into the problem of then banks, you know, lending being less inclined to lend. So, do you think does does Chapter Eleven or CVA? Um, how, how does that affect uh, affect if, if you sort of put a banker's hat on? I'll start with you, Carl, and then I'll come to you, Paul. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a it's a genuine concern from lenders. Uh, you don't want to be in a position where their their security is compromised. Uh, or at least the, the decisions made regarding their security are in the hands of unsecured creditors or creditors that don't have the same security structure as, as the lender. So, uh, uh, you know, obviously a very valid concern. But my sense is certainly within the CBA regime, it's principally around uh, unsecured creditors taking a view on that. Ultimately, uh, the secured lender can participate in that voting cycle or not, as the case may be, but it's not, not, not seeking necessarily to impact uh, the secured lender's position. Uh, I'll, I'll defer to Paul around the technical aspect of that. And, and with bankruptcy, of course, uh, you know, there's there's an additional regime where lenders uh, can advance funds to the company during bankruptcy. And in fact, they then sit as a higher priority against other lenders. And I think actually that's actually not a bad idea. Uh, that has a lot of merit. Uh, and so that that process should be something that we, we should be should be considering. But, You're talking uh, about the, you know, dip, the dip, dip funding, the debtor in possession yeah. funding? Yeah, Correct. yeah, Correct. yeah. Paul, what, 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 uh, what are your thoughts? Every time um, these sorts of re um, reforms, Chapter Eleven, things like that, are brought up here, that's one of the concerns about: is it going to cause a dry up in lending? Um, I mean, I think it's worth reminding ourselves that sort of Chapter Eleven and CVAs come from uh, America and the UK, which are the two biggest finance markets in the world. Um, people go to those jurisdictions as finance parties to restructure yeah. rather than avoid them. So I think it's, it's you know if it's done properly, um, it's a it's 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 a good feature both for lenders and for debtors because it's preserving value for everyone. Obviously, if it's done poorly, then it is a real problem. Um, so you know it's just about making sure we do it right. 
Okay, look, um, we I'll, we will wrap up there. Um, uh, it's been a it, it has been a technical discussion. I guess we've got into some uh, legal technicalities, um, but you know the fact is that that this thing is is now back in the press. The government's uh, considering these things, and uh, hopefully uh, our viewers and listeners are that much more informed uh, for having for having heard from us. So, um, Carl and Paul, thank you very very much for uh, for joining us and uh, for sharing your wisdom and insights. Um, thank you very much to our listeners, uh, our live uh, viewers, and to our subscribers. And uh, we look forward to speaking with uh, all of you again very soon. Cheers and thank you very much, guys. Thank, thank right. you. Thanks.